It's a special podcast today on the Bellator Christie Podcast. We are answering some questions that we have received at bellatorchristie.com. So we're going to dedicate this podcast into answering those questions. So stay tuned as we enter into the arena of ideas. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. All right, we welcome you to the Bellator Christie Podcast today. This is November 17th. Uh, We are going to um, look at making some changes. Uh, This is your host, Brian Shelton. We thank you for joining us today as we do step into the arena of ideas. Uh, Going back to my previous thought, we're looking at making some changes to the format of the podcast, meaning uh, looking at the day in which we distribute these podcasts. Um, Normally, the recording days uh, that uh, that I'm able to record these podcasts have been moved to Fridays. And, and a lot of times uh, the uh, it's, it's, I wait till Sunday to publicize the podcast. I th- I'm thinking about go ahead and trying to uh, just go ahead and do it all in one day. Uh, get record the podcast, get it out on the same day. So we're going to try to start uh, posting these podcasts every Friday. And so a uh, little bit of a tweak. So instead of the first of the week that you'll be receiving these podcasts, uh, you'll be receiving this, them towards the end of the week. So just make note of that. Um, so hopefully this won't cause any disruption if, you are, if you're a regular listener. And uh, it just means you'll get the podcast a little bit earlier uh, that, that, than you would. Instead of waiting till Sunday, you'll be able to get them Friday. So just mark that on your calendars if you do follow us on the podcast Uh, Do mark that on your calendars that we're switching the publication date from Sundays to now Fridays. We're going to try that, see how it works. Uh, That's the wonderful thing about recording podcasts as as I do. Uh, You do have a lot more flexibility than you do uh, if it's... You know, you're paying for a time or slot or something like that. So uh, that's that's the beauty of podcasting. You have a lot more freedom uh, to do just that. Today, uh, we do want to encourage you, if you haven't already, go by to bellatorchristie.com and check out the website. Be sure to subscribe. Also, uh, encourage you to subscribe to the uh, the podcast. We're on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Google Play, so you can catch us on any of those apps and uh, take us with you on the go. Today, we have a special podcast. We are going to be looking at some questions that we have received at bellatorchristie.com. I've been meaning to do this for some time. In fact, uh, some of these questions uh, are, I'm not going to say dated because, uh, I'm not going to say they're dated, but uh, they have been there for some time. And I've been meaning to respond to these questions, but it's just been... To be honest, it's just been a crazy, crazy month. Been it's been crazy ever since the beginning of October. I knew October was going to be um, was going to be a crazy month, but but uh, November has has just been just as crazy as uh, October has been. Uh, so, but anyhow, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and when we get back, we're going to look at a few questions that have been submitted to BellatorChristie.com. We'll also uh, answer a, another question that was. Uh, Posed not necessarily at the website, but was posed to me on a personal basis. I'm going to attempt to answer that question as well. You are listening to the Bellator Christie podcast. We'll see you back in just a moment. In his lifetime, Charles Spurgeon preached to over 10 million people and his sermons have been changing millions more ever since. 
The CSB Spurgeon Study Bible weaves thousands of his words, notes, and excerpts into a rich daily study experience designed to bring to life the words of Charles Spurgeon alongside the words he loved and cherished his entire life. No one would be more surprised than Spurgeon to discover such a thing as the Charles Spurgeon Study Bible. And yet I think he would be both surprised and delighted. I would say that Spurgeon, as much as any preacher of an earlier era, has impacted my pastoral ministry, not in terms of the actual content itself, as much as the approach to scripture, as it were, on his knees. It's a material that has stood the test of time. And so for it to be encapsulated in this one form uh, is, is just a terrific resource. And I think that what it's going to do is broaden the understanding of the Bible and at the same time, give to people an understanding of Spurgeon. With a rich and beautiful design, the Spurgeon Study Bible introduces readers to the insights and wisdom of Spurgeon as a pastoral guide through the Bible that includes his writings, journal entries, lost sermons, and resources not available anywhere else. For someone who's barely heard the name Spurgeon and perhaps has never even read anything that he wrote, the study Bible is going to be a revelation. Right there, page by page, book by book, they are introduced to Spurgeon at his very best. One of the things that will be immediately attractive to them is the fact that they will see Spurgeon's own handwriting within the prints of the Bible. So that not only do they have his comments, but they have his comments as they were originally written down. It is immediately appealing to the eye as well as, uh, you know, rewarding to the mind. For the student of uh, scripture and the lover of Spurgeon, is a treasure trove. Throughout his life, Spurgeon gave himself to knowing, loving, and proclaiming the truth of Christ. Each edit and inclusion in the CSB Spurgeon Study Bible follows this passion, that every reader might get into the very heart of the Word of God. There's a certain element in this study Bible that causes the reader to feel almost that they are inhabiting the time of Spurgeon himself. It's clearly all about the one whom he longs to preach and proclaim. This is the great value that is to be found in the material. I hope that this study Bible is going to introduce a whole new group of people to Spurgeon himself and to the influence that he had, and that because the heart of man is the same no matter where he finds himself or she finds herself. And Spurgeon's timeliness, indeed his timelessness, is that. Experience God's Word and the legacy of Charles Spurgeon. To find out more, visit csbspurgeonstudybible.com. Welcome back to the Bellator Christie Podcast. I want to thank... Uh, B&H Publishers for allowing me to have a uh, free uh, a review copy of the CSB Spurgeon Study Bible. I uh, hope to have a review out on the CSB Spurgeon Study Bible here very soon. Uh, hopefully, maybe as early as even next week. So, uh, be looking for that. I also want to let you know at the Bellator Christie Podcast. Before we get into these questions, we have some wonderful questions. And I want to let you know that you can submit your own question uh, at bellatorchristie.com. If you go to the uh, main website at uh, bellatorchristie.com, you're going to see uh, some links up at the very top. And one one of the links at the top right side of the website is, it says, Submit a Question to Bellator Christie. And just click on that. Click on that link, and it will take you to a page where you can fill out a form, uh, your name, email, website if you have one, and then the comment, uh, was that's which is where you can submit your own question. Um, 
You can also email me at brianchilton at bellatorchristi.com or you can contact me at facebook.com forward slash bellatorchristi. I would tell you the first two options are probably are the best way to get in contact with me. Filling out the form on this page, uh, asking your question, that's the best way to, to do that. Uh, and, and and emailing me at Brian Chilton, C-H-I-L-T-O-N, at bellatorchristi.com is, is another wonderful way. I would tell you to go to the Facebook page at Bellator Christi, but I'm just going to be honest with you, uh, just just clear discretion, you know, in, in clear, um, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> I can't get my words out today. Um, uh, whatever, it, it, it it, just to be honest with you, I'll just leave it at that. I don't check the Facebook page as much as I do the other two. So, um, so, so go to the go to the website and submit your question. By the way, let me also say in uh, on, on, a, on a similar note, I hope that you go to the website and you check it out. The, the website has been revamped. Uh, I am in the process of of um, linking together. Some of the various articles that I have published uh, over the years, because I've been at this since 2012. Gosh, it's been five years. It's been five years that I've been blogging, and a little less than that since I've been doing the podcast. But uh, I have some series that you can check out on who wrote the New Testament. Most likely, there's going to be another series coming in 2018 on who wrote the Old Testament. I'm going to probably revamp that. Uh, question that page just to say who wrote the Bible, and we'll be looking at that. There's also another section examining Jesus by the historical method. I think it's a pretty good series, but I really want to direct your attention to the Apologetics 101 and Theology 101 sites, as well as book reviews and the Bellator Christie podcast, as well as messages. Uh, these links have been completely reformatted, and so you can go there. This is a one-stop shop here at the website. If you have questions on apologetics, some of my more popular articles have been linked together on this page, grouped together on this page, so that you can go to that page and check it out. Uh, it's still a work in progress. I'm still working to get more and more articles on there. The same thing is with theology in the Theology 101. Book reviews, that's that's a project that we're doing. Jason Klein and myself, we're doing this. Uh, so check that page to find the latest book reviews. The Bellator Christie podcast, we're going to put links. Every time we post a podcast, we're going to put a link to that podcast on that page at bellatorchristie.com. So if you just are looking for a podcast, maybe you heard one, you don't know where it's at, um, maybe you want to hear it directly from the website, it'll be there. Also, the messages that I post will be there as well, and this link together at, under the messages by Brian Chilton. So I'm looking at, at reformatting the website, making it easier to find information, uh, and trying to basically organize some of the material together. It's a work in progress. Okay, It's not where... It, I want it to be yet, but it's it's coming along. So just to let you know that. But again, if you have a question, uh, go to the page, submit a question to Bellator Christie. That's where some of these questions, most of these questions uh, uh, arose. Okay, I want to just read a comment posted. This is October 7th, 2017 by Pete Hollingsworth. I don't know that this is so much a, uh, a question as it is a comment. Uh, your podcast of September 26, 2017 prompts the following, which may be of interest. A distinction. All religions, some would say, are each a different path, and every faith in its own way leads unto God at last this world's great creeds. Some will claim, though differing in form, are fundamentally the same. When of their trappings shorn, if this were so, then no need of Christ upon the cross. His blood would then be vainly plead. How great then mankind's loss for a Redeemer there must be to wash away the stain of our, of our consciences to us reveal. For this the Christ was slain, no other faith or yet hope this great distinction shares. So radical the Christian's God, no other way compares, no narrative but one proclaims one risen from the grave, the Lamb of God, whoever seeks to bless, to forgive, and save. All religions 
to save all religions may well seem alike and interlinked, but that defined by Jesus is outrageously distinct. Pete Hollingsworth, Autumn 2017. And, you know, I would agree, I would agree with what he's saying there. Um, and he's writing at cornerstonepoems.com. Um, I would agree with that. I, I think that uh, there are certain things that... Um, there are certain certain aspects of religions that are linked in as far as you know some things, but by and large the world religions are distinctly different. Uh, you know, for instance, even within Buddhism and Hinduism, you know, you have a vast difference between the two worldviews. You know, they both believe in reincarnation, and they both believe you know in the wheel of reincarnation, but who runs? the wheel of reincarnation? That's the question. For the Hindu, they believe in God, which uh, manifests himself in multiple avatars. Okay, and then and then the Buddhist believes that uh, they're really agnostic as far as the existence of God. It could be that God exists. They don't say that he doesn't, but uh, it's it's about joining, in, joining up with the universal force. Okay, so... In, at the core of theology, there's a distinction between Buddhism and Hinduism. And of course, when you go and you look at uh, the monotheistic religions being uh, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, obviously there are core distinctions between those worldviews as well. And um, you, um, you, ask, you ask yourself a question, you know, is there one God? And if there is, uh, how, to whom did he reveal himself? Did he reveal himself to the Jews? And I think there's evidence to say that he did reveal himself to the nation, to, to Israel. Okay, and then from there you go and you ask the question, okay, um, d- did he prophesy to have a Messiah? And I think the answer is yes, through the Hebrew Scriptures we see that. So there are key distinctions, but the ultimate thing is I think, I think you have to follow the, the uh, path of truth and I think that you can you need to follow a philosophical path of truth. I think you it first starts with the aspect of truth. Does truth exist? Is anything knowable? Okay. Once you establish that truth is knowable, that there is such a thing as an absolute truth, then then you can go along on the journey to ask: Is there are there good reasons to believe that God exists? And if so, are there good reasons to believe that God has communicated with humanity? And then from there you ask the question, which to, to, to which group did it did it appear has most evidence that he did in fact communicate? And then from there you then that leads into other issues with the Messiah and things of that nature. So I would agree with Pete that there are distinct differences. Um, while some people see similarities, and there may be some similarities as it comes to some ethical values and things of that nature, uh, just to be fair. Uh, you know, and and the quest for the divine in many religions that that's that's a, a common common similar similarity. Uh, there are some distinct differences, and uh, but I do believe that God is a saving God. I believe that He is one who um, is one who seeks to save the lost, no matter where they may be. And so I have no doubt in my mind that there will be people in heaven that we wouldn't didn't think would be there. Uh, because of his revelation and to individuals uh, from all across the world. Anonymous, uh, there is a person from Seeking Answers 123ABC. Uh, they're, they're, they're listed as anonymous. We don't have a name for this person. But they ask a couple of really good questions, and we want to see if we can answer this, this question and, um, and then, then move on from here. The first, this is actually in two parts, well, three parts really. Uh, or maybe more than that. It says, Dear Pastor Brian Chilton, first question, who were the Ebionites? How would you respond to someone who said the Ebionites were the only true Christians? What were some key problems with the Ebionites? Who were the Nazarenes? How would you respond to someone who said the Nazarenes were the only true Christians? What are some key problems with the Nazarenes? God bless. Um, there's another question going along with that, but let's just start here. Uh, and And... To answer the question about the Ebionites, let's first go uh, to whom the Ebionites were. Okay, so who are the Ebionites? That's the first question. 
This is as this has been commonly recognized to be a an early heretical movement. Okay, the Ebionites were an early heretical movement uh, that uh, stemmed from uh, an uh, an individual who. Um, uh, was stemmed from the founder Ebion. Okay, Ebion. Most of the information we have about Ebion comes from the uh, from Epaphanius, who offers contradictory information. Okay, so he notes that Ebion's parents prophetically named him, alluding to his poor, <laughs> alluding to his poor theology. But uh, the etymo- the etymology of the title suggests that it refers to a collective group rather than a single person. So, um, so the the Lexham Bible Dictionary say that heresiologists there are actually heresiologists individuals who study not, but study heresies. They often assume that this group that this group names that group names are derived from a single founder, and I would agree with that. Um, Compare Justin Martyr's dialogue with Trifo, which can explain why many assume the existence of a man, man named Ebion, and I would think that that would be true. Um, Irenaeus, however, doesn't doesn't uh, name a founder, uh, but but anyhow, uh, the connection uh, there's also a connection with the economic poor. Apparently, the sect may have derived its name from its connection to the earliest Jewish Christians from the Jerusalem church who were considered economically impoverished and designated themselves as the poor. Um, but here again, you know, the evidence isn't clear and concise in this matter. Uh, the group may have also derived its name from the theological notion of being poor in spirit. Okay, so so what are the Ebionites? What are they about? Well, they believe that uh, they live an ascetic lifestyle, and they observed the Mosaic Law, uh, and the, and they also uh, believed. And here's the key distinction: they they believe that uh, that Jesus was a uh, a second Moses, so to speak. Um, they um, the strange movement this developed in the late first century continued into the fourth. Um, Paul battled. Some people have even linked this to be the type of movement that Paul Paul um, uh, battled against in the Book of Galatians. You know, the legalists, the Ebionites, uh, they taught that Jesus was a prophetic successor to Moses, not the eternal second person of the Trinity. And there is where the heresy arrives. The Ebionites were legalists who viewed Jesus as an exalted man who perfectly kept the law. Coming from their dualism, they were ascetics practicing a life of poverty, self-denial, and often elaborate rituals. They were legalistic to the core, and they challenged any notion of free grace, what they considered free grace gospel, anything that considered the, the grace of God to be a free gift. Okay, so uh, that gives you kind of a little of a bit of a background on the Ebionites. Let me look down through here uh, a little bit more to see. Uh, they only, okay, as far as Scripture goes, this was a thoroughly Jewish sect. Uh, the group clearly maintained the authority of the Hebrew Bible. Um, there were some, um, well, they, they re- absolutely repudiated Paul. Uh, they thought that he was an apostate from the law, according to Irenaeus. Um, so, so Ehrman even suggests that this group may have even uh, descended from a group of uh, Jewish opponents that Paul had. Okay, And uh, the Ebionites only used Matthew's gospel. In fact, I think I have read somewhere that, that they had a Hebrew version of Matthew's gospel and uh, it's known today as the Gospel of the Ebionites. Okay, so obviously the Ebionites reject the pre-existence of Christ. They argue that God the Father adopted Jesus at his baptism, and then they also, in fact, reject Jesus's 
uh, virginal conception and emphasized Matthew's birth narrative to show Jesus' descent from Joseph rather than Luke's uh, birth narrative showing him to be virgin-born and uh, also uh, a descendant of, of Mary. Okay, and also they, when they look at Isaiah seven fourteen, they re, they refer to it as the young woman, the Alma, which can mean virgin, it can mean young woman. It essentially, I think, means the same thing: a woman before the age of uh, being able to conceive a child, perhaps. But um, anyhow, this has led this this interpretation has led many Jews to reject the preexistence of the Messiah. Accordingly, uh, Balkum proposes that the Ebionites adopted these Jewish categories to describe the Messiah. And so, again, Irenaeus, an early Christian, condemns the Ebionites as heretical because they deny the union of God and man through a denial of the Incarnation. Tertullian, who is often viewed skeptically by other church fathers, highlights a tension between Jesus' Davidic descent and his virginal conception um, this this uh, leading some to believe that the Ebionites denied Jesus's virginal conception in favor of his Davidic descent. Um, okay, so anyhow, before you know, and, and there's another question concerning the Nazarenes, and um, let me look here. Give me just a moment. Um, Okay, it's not there. Uh, I think the Nazarenes, if I'm not greatly mistaken, were a subset of this group. Okay, here they are. Uh, used to refer the Nazarenes used to refer a native of Nazareth. That is not um, what I'm looking for there. Uh, this is also okay. Yeah, the Nazarenes are a branch of the Ebionites. Um, Martyr, while Martyr, uh, Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, Origen, and Eusebius don't mention the Nazarenes by name, they have associated them with the Ebionites. Okay, there is a, one distinction that the Nazarenes have with the Ebionites, and this comes from later patristic sources like Epaphanius, Jerome, uh, that they, we do see that they were two distinct groups. Um, The Ebionites, uh, so we have already mentioned that he, they dis, they dis, they disagree with Paul's writings. Um, okay, here's what I'm looking for. In his correspondence with Augustine of Hippo, Jerome writes that unlike the Ebionites, the Nazarenes had the same beliefs as non-Jewish Christians, but they continued to practice the law of Moses. So, okay, the Nazarenes had the same beliefs as non-Jewish Christians. They were a Gentile group of the uh, of the Ebionites, it appears. Uh, Epiphanius also notes that the Nazarenes' uh, adherence to the law, uh, or the Nazarenes' adherence to the law, he does not articulate any specific erroneous beliefs held by the Nazarenes, but the fact that they, they're included in, in the category of heresies uh, suggests that they viewed them as a heretical group. Um they are also mentioned in two versions of the Bikrat uh, Hamanin, or the Benediction of the Heretics. So it, it appears that perhaps, we don't know as much as about the Nazarenes, it doesn't appear as we do the Ebionites, but it does appear that, um, that the Ebionites and, uh, and the Nazarenes are, are, are very similar, and uh, it, with the exception that it appears that the Nazarenes may be a more Jew, uh, excuse me, more Gentile version of the Ebionites. Um, so this this brings up the question, the second part of the question, how would you respond to someone who said the Ebionites or the Nazarenes were the only true Christians? And I think you have to go back to Scripture itself. Um, we, we have good reasons for believing that Matthew was an apostle who wrote the gospel that bears his name. But we also have good reasons for believing that uh, John was an apostle who wrote the fourth gospel, even though there are some who deny that, which I don't see how. I think the clearest reading of John's gospel indicates that that he was that it was written by the apostle uh, who is John the Beloved. You know, I, I really, it's, to me, I, I don't even think it's, it should even be... Um, controversial uh you know but um 
we we see we see that John is an apostle, Matthew is an apostle. And um, excuse me, I was reaching from a Bible. And but we see throughout Matthew's gospel that there is this acceptance of Matthew's gospel. Uh, but I think if you if you take the full complete view we we find in, in scriptures from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I think there's a clear distinction that we find that Jesus is God come in the flesh. You know, obviously John one one in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same in the beginning with God. But I think even in Matthew's gospel, you know, you you see this. Um, you see. Jesus clearly making connections with uh, the, the like in his parables. For instance, here just the parable of the vineyard owner. Um, they see, say it, talk, it tells a story about a landowner who plants a vineyard, puts a fence around it, digs a wine press, builds a watchtower. And the time came to harvest fruit. He sent his servants to the farmers collect the fruit. The farmers took his servants, beat one, killed another, stoned a third. And then eventually he sends his son, thinking that they will respect his son. And then the tenant farmer says, uh, then then the then the uh, the uh, tenants they kill the son. And so he goes on to say, the stone that the builders rejected um, became the chief cornerstone. Well, obviously, if you read between the lines, Jesus is referring to himself. Uh, look even in Matthew's Gospel where he says, um, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Uh, see, your house has left you desolate, uh, for I tell you, you will not see me again till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, okay, so so going back, I think, I think if we look at the testimony, we have all of the 27 books of the New Testament were written early. And then you have to look at the, the testimony of the Apostle Paul. Was Paul's gospel the same that was presented by the apostles? And the answer is yes, it was. If you look at the book of Acts, uh, we, you, can, you can see that. And if you look between the lines, if you look at the Paul's teachings and the teachings even found in the gospel of Matthew, you'll see that it's the same gospel. It's, it's, uh, it's for by grace we are saved through faith. So, I don't understand where a person would come and say that uh, the Ebionites and Nazarenes were the true sect of Christianity, unless they are coming from a perspective of, like, say, a Jehovah Witness. Now, it's, it appears to me, just not knowing all the circumstances, that maybe the person has some inclinations towards the Jehovah Witness movement because the Jehovah Witnesses like the Arians, uh, do not accept Jesus to be the divine incarnate Son of God. They, they uh, feel that he is, a, he is a, uh, the, the, the second coming of the archangel Michael. Okay? So it may be that that person has some inclinations like that, but I would just challenge you, if it were me, to answer your question, I would, would take them back to the history of the church I would show them the connection that, that the four Gospels all have to Jesus himself. You know, Matthew, is. if you go and you take a look at the articles I've written on the um, who wrote the New Testament, I would encourage you to do that. And I would encourage you just to look at the history uh, that we have in the Gospels and of the 27 books of the New Testament. I would show them that uh, show this person that you know Matthew is is linked to an apostle. John is linked to an apostle. I would show that uh, Ma John Mark is uh, 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 the, the secretary of Simon Peter. So see, he wrote down the things that Simon Peter taught, and then Luke was an investigative reporter who who compiled eyewitness testimony from various sources. So I would go back to even the Gospels and then show that the link that the Gospels, the message that the Gospels present, it's the same message that Paul presents. It really is. And then, uh, and then I would just basically go from there. But I would show this this person that um, that that the church itself is linked with Jesus, and unless they have any type of knowledge to show other information to show otherwise, which I don't think that they will. 
I, I think the clear evidence is that the teachings of Jesus have been preserved in the canonical New Testament. So uh, I'd like to hear more from you, uh, more from this individual concerning this this um, this situation. Uh, and he goes on the second part of this question, um, which came just a few minutes after the first. So, says, Dear, Dear Pastor Brian Chilton, I sent an email a few minutes ago about the Ebionites and the Nazarenes, but I had another question I'd like to ask, and I hope that's okay. Of course, ask as many as you want. How would you respond to someone who said Paul was against James and or against Peter and or against the other apostles? Okay, let, let me just take that question first. Okay, and this may take the podcast uh, to answer these questions. I may have to save the other question for the next podcast, which... I may I may end up doing. Okay. There are there are individuals who believe that Paul was opposed to James. Um because if you take a look at the book of you, know, you take a look at Paul's writings in Galatians, you take a look at Paul's writings in uh in, in other texts you see for by you know, Ephesians, for by grace you're saved through faith. And then then James says James will say things, uh, you show me your faith, I'll show you my works. Faith without works is dead. Okay. Does this mean that James and Paul had it out for one another? Now that's not to say that they may not have had some disagreements. Okay. Uh, we as Christians have the liberty to have disagreements. Okay. And just because we have some disagreements on some minor issues doesn't mean that, that uh, we... Um, <laughs> that we necessarily are, are completely opposed to one another in preaching a different gospel. You know, uh, we, we have to look at the core fundamentals, the primary doctrines of the faith, and separate those things from the more secondary issues. But now, as we're talking about grace through faith, we're talking about this means of salvation, yes, this is a major factor. This is a major thing. And so, um, I think we a proper interpretation of the Scripture will show that James and Paul are really presenting the same message. Paul is not saying that, that works are not important. And neither is James saying that grace is not important. Because um, what he says in verse 22 of chapter 1, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in the mirror, for he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. Okay? Um, if anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his, re- his religion is useless, and he de- deceives himself. Pure himself, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Okay, he talks about uh, the sin of favoritism, okay, which I believe includes raci- racism. This is verses 1 through 13. Uh, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Okay, did you catch that in verse 13? Mercy triumphs over judgment. Then it goes into faith and works. Uh, but look what he says in verse 23 of chapter 2. Abraham, The scripture was fulfilled. It says, Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see, that a person is justified by works and not faith alone uh, is and not faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works from receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? For just as the body with okay, here's the key. Here's the key thesis of chapter two. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Okay. Now, at first glance, it may appear that James is ta- talking about a work-based salvation, but he's really not. I think the the core essence in verse twenty six is that uh, the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. The core thesis of what James is saying is he is fighting against this heresy of antinomianism. And folks, we have a problem with that in today's church. You see, there is Paul and James together provides a balance that we need in the modern church that we often forget. Paul is emphasizing grace. But James talks about grace because Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. 
He received and responded to God's grace. Okay? But that grace in Abraham did a work in him. Paul would agree with that. You know, Paul would agree with that. Paul even says, he even mentions in 1st and 2nd Corinthians about the judgment seat of Christ. He takes that another step. He says that our deeds are so important that what we do for Christ is so important that they are going to be issued. The good things we do, we're going to be tested at the judgment seat of Christ and the good things that we do will be issued back as rewards to us. So don't think that Paul is by any means preaching a grace, no works philosophy. And just like likewise, James isn't pro- proclaiming a works yet graceless theology. Both of them together provide a balance that we find in Scripture that's so important. And that's this. We are saved by the grace of Almighty God. Clearly, we are saved by the grace of Almighty God. But when that grace comes upon our lives... It will make a transformation in us. We will have a transfer we will be a transformed person. And likewise, that transformation within us is going to spur us on to do good works. Okay? Jesus presents the same balance that we find in James and Paul. Jesus, on the one hand, says, No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. He says that in John. But he also says, in the Synoptic Gospels, he also talks about how good trees produce good fruit and bad trees produce bad fruit. A good tree won't produce bad fruit and a bad tree won't produce good fruit. You are known by the fruits you bear. Okay? So, salvation has three moments. There is justification, the moment that we are made righteous before the eyes of God, that we are made right in the eyes of God. That happens the moment we receive Christ as our Savior. Then we go through a lifelong process of sanctification as we are being made into the image of Christ, which finally culminates to that third moment, which is called glorification, when we are ushered into the very presence of God and one day receive a resurrected body. We are glorified at that moment. Okay, so I don't think that Paul and James were rivals. The only thing I do think that they, where they had a disagreement was at the very earliest moment. And I think many scholars have blown this, this, this uh, controversy between Paul and James, this, this argument between Paul and James all out, of, all out of whack, to be honest with you. I don't know that that's a scholarly term, whack, but we're going to go with it. <laughs> but... Uh, Obviously, there was some discussion about whether to whether Gentiles. This goes back to the Jerusalem Council. There was a discussion that, that Paul and James. It's the same discussion that, that Paul and Peter had. Uh, it, it had to do with the Gentiles' involvement in the church. One of the earliest controversies was whether or not Gentiles should be circumcised as they become uh, become a part of the church. Another another part was a uh, moment was uh, about meats. Uh, can can you eat anything now, or is or is uh, or do we just stick to kosher foods? Okay, so if you go back to Galatians, well, let me, let me just start with with Peter with Paul and James. The earliest discussion was with over this issue of cir- circumcision. Paul says, "Listen, we're circumcised of the heart. This physical circumcision makes little difference." James was a little more hesitant in that view, but then James came around to Paul's idea, and they came together as brothers in Christ. Now, Paul and Peter had a little riff because Peter was showing favoritism to his Jewish brothers and did not want to dine with some of the Gentile believers while his Jewish friends were there. Paul called them out on that, basically saying that we're not to show favoritism, which is basically the same thing James was saying. We're not to show favoritism, and he mentioned that he devotes a whole entire section to that issue of favoritism, the sin of favoritism in James. So I really think that James and Paul have more in common than we might think. I also think that that Peter and Paul, they had one little controversy, they had one little disagreement, and I think they were, uh, they were able to resolve that. Um, going on to the next question, how do you respond to someone who accuses Paul of being a liar? I... 
I think they had to they had to show what they're talking about. I don't know that I can answer this. I don't see anywhere where Paul lies about anything. Uh, I would want that if a person is presenting that case, then I would want evidence. I, I would I would put that question back to the person asking it and say, "Give me an example. What are you de- what are you de- what are you describing here?" Um, um, Okay, and he goes on to say, how would you respond to someone who accuses Paul of being a liar, tries to argue that Galatians 1.20, I assure you before God that I, what I am writing you is no lie. Hence this, because it shows that he must have been accused of being a liar to say this, and also the comment itself seems to be something that a liar would say. I really, that last part, <laughs> I don't see. That that's an ad hominem. That's reading more into the text there than I think needs to be there. Um, you would basically have to have evidence that someone is lying about something before you could accuse someone of being a liar. Uh, did were there some people who have probably accused Paul of being a liar? Well, of course. If you're going to stand for truth, you're going to have people who are going to try. To maintain that you're that you're telling a non-truth, um, you know, I could say, uh, well, for instance, there are some people who would, you know, I believe that in the '60s we actually sent a man on the moon, but there are some people who would say, well, you're a liar. Uh, that was staged in Arizona or New Mexico. Okay, so I don't think just because an accusation is there doesn't mean that uh, it's true. You'd have to have evidence that Paul was was telling something that was wrong. And here again, I think you would have to have evidence that Paul was saying something contrary to the teachings of Jesus. And so I don't think we have that. I think I think when you look through the teachings of Paul, you see a lot of allusions to the uh, early material found in the Gospels. In fact, there's, there are a lot more correlations between Paul's teachings and what we find in the Gospels than I ever even imagined. Uh, so let me look to Galatians 1.20 before we move on. It says, I decla- uh, see, let, let me go back here in verse 18. Then after three years, I, I did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas, that is Peter, and I stayed with him 15 days. But I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. I declare in the sight of God, I am not lying in what I write to you. Okay, that that does not mean that even Paul is being is being accused of a liar. There, uh, Paul is basically defending his his claim to being an apostle, and that stemmed from the fact that he was not part of the original twelve. He did see the resurrected Jesus. He did see the risen Lord on his road on the on the way to Damascus. He saw the risen Lord, and so he was called to be an apostle by Christ. So. Basically, what Paul is doing is he is not he is not responding to an accusation of being a liar. He is he is defending his claim to being an apostle, which some saw him as not being an apostle because he wasn't part of the original twelve. But he goes on to say in Galatians that the the message that he was teaching and preaching was found to be exactly the same message that the early apostles had been preaching, and they in turn were preaching the message that Jesus himself had taught them. So there again, I don't think there's any I don't think there's any uh, weight to this claim that Paul was a liar. You would have to have you would have to have clear cut evidence that he is teaching something contrary to the Gospels, uh, which come from from the messages of Jesus. And I don't think that you can find that. In fact, I think all throughout, in fact, I know all throughout the teachings of Paul, you see these early Christian uh, formulations and hymns. You see one in, in, the, in Philippians, I think it's chapter 1, if I'm not mistaken, or chapter 2. Uh, you see uh, First First uh, Corinthians chapter fifteen verses three through nine. That's an early Christian formulation dating to within months to up to five years after the time of Christ. Uh, you see in Colossians one the uh, there's a uh, there, there's a proclamation an early 
uh, proclamation of uh, Christ's supremacy that's recorded there. You see um, in 1 Corinthians also the designated portion where he talks about the Lord's uh, table, talking, taking communion. That part dates to within three to five years of the, uh, of the early church, or three to five years of the time of Christ. So all throughout Paul's writings, you see these nuggets of information that actually predate the New Testament itself. So there again, I hope this helps. And if you have any further questions, uh, I'll just encourage you to contact me at uh, Bellator Christie. And for anyone who may have questions on this issue or any other issues that we've discussed here on the podcast uh, or on the website, I do encourage you to get in contact with me by going to submit a question at Bellator Christie there at bellatorchristie.com. If you're on, uh, you can find it. It's at the very top right-hand corner next to the banner, uh, the title logo. Uh, you can find it up there. Also, you can submit a question by emailing me personally at Brian Chilton. That's B-R-I-A-N-C-H-I-L-T-O-N at Bellator Christie, B-E-L-L-A-T-O-R, C-H-R-I-S-T-I dot com. Uh, like I said, if you have any other questions concerning the Ebionites, Nazarenes, or any other questions concerning faith, uh, philosophy, theology, all these type of things, we do encourage you to submit your question. And hey, I'd love to have another answer the question uh, type of uh, podcast. This has been a lot of fun. All right, this is Brian Chilton. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast. We hope you have a blessed day, and we'll see you back the next time that we enter into the arena of ideas. on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of bellatorchristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi podcast is a production of bellatorchristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Michaela Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristie.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. When I first wrote Evidence That Demands a Verdict, truth wasn't so much an issue as what is truth, can you know truth, but now it is. Some of the issues are different because of the internet, like the claim that Jesus doesn't even exist. Are there other gospels that should have been in the Bible? Is Christianity just a copycat religion? So when we updated this, because I hear it from students so often, I thought we have to have the single best chapter that responds to this claim, and I think we do. We had to rewrite Evidence Demands a Verdict because there's so much new evidence out there. It's like one Greek scholar said, the evidence now for the scriptures is like a tsunami, an avalanche that is hitting, and we want you to be aware of that. We want every young person, every student, every pastor, every professor to be aware of the new evidence out there. To understand not just what they believe, but why they believe it. Evidence that demands a verdict. On sale everywhere, October 3rd, 2017. Go to hashtag true evidence.